Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1? We should be able to finish chapter 1 this morning and head into chapter 2 next week in our series, Encouragement and Admonishment, Paul's final letter. Before I, I pray and get into the word, uh, the men had a wonderful time on Friday night at Brother Ben's house. And uh, although I was not able to be there, I was at a wedding Friday night for uh, the former Karen Braxton, who is now Karen Gaines. Uh, we, we had a wonderful time. She married Brother Brandon Gaines. And uh, many of us were there for that. And so I, I missed it. But Ben sent me a plate through Elder Sherman. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. My wife and I ate on that plate. God is good. Thank you. And so, men, uh, we're going to have Bible study one more time this week uh, on Friday at 7 o'clock. So make sure you zoom in with us as we encourage one another uh, as men in the word of God. And then today... Uh, my wife is having a party, a book launch party from 3 to 4.30, amen, in Franklin at the Coffee House from 3 o'clock to 4.30. She has a bunch of these cards down there for you. If you would like to uh, get her book or get her to sign your book if you already bought one, she'll be there. She's bought cookies, cakes, and all kinds of stuff, so y'all got to come and get all of that stuff because uh, we don't want to take it home. The Coffee House in Franklin from 3 to 4.30. Amen. All right, all right. Boy, boy, boy. I was thinking of an old Baptist hymn as Jewel was leading us today and really trying to center our focus on the Lord and off of ourselves, which is why worship is so powerful because we spend a lot of time during the week focusing on ourselves, our problems, our issues, what we see as opposed to the one who is not seen. And we can become overwhelmed, if not even plagued by those things, those issues. But when we, when we come into the house of God together to worship, not that we're not worshiping at home and singing to God in the car, wherever we may be, but something happens when we worship corporately that doesn't happen when we're by ourselves. You know, when Paul was in jail in Acts 16, he and Silas began to worship and sing. And so something happens when the body worships. And I was thinking of that old song that my grandfather's church used to sing every Sunday uh, about if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. But see, I can't sing. And I don't know the beginning parts of the, word, of, of the hymn. Does anybody know it? Mike, do you know that hymn? From the masses, men of every birth. How to reach the masses. There it is. Men of every birth. Uh-huh. Y'all know this one? For an answer, Jesus, Jesus gave the, the key. My God. Come on, y'all. And I, if I be You remember that, Johnson? From the earth I'll draw all men unto me. Yes, yes, that is. Lift him up, lift him up. Still he speaks from eternity. And if I, if I be lifted up, from the earth I will draw all men unto me. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to be in church, as Dr. Jewell said, who helped guard our physical well-being for many, many months as she and Dr. Joe gave us wisdom and insight from a medical perspective on how to protect ourselves and our families for many, many months. And we thank you for her admonishment to those who are here and those who know they can be here and should be here. That is time. We need to see you. We need to hear you. 
You need to see us. You need to hear us in person for those who can. And we thank you, Jesus, that when we lift you up together, you'll draw all men unto yourself. We know that was speaking first and foremost about the cross, you being hoisted up on the cross. But Lord, we also apply that to our corporate worship. Oh, Jesus, touch this church, touch this body. Thank you for the new paint job that's happening on the outside of the building. Lord, I thank you for the monies you provided for us to be able to take care of your house and the other things that we're going to do because we're anticipating and expecting your people and new people and lost people to come back in droves at the right time to encourage them in here and send them out there. Lord, I, I love what Jewel said, that COVID should not change the mission of the church. Oh God, may we stand strong. Help me now to preach your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here to be my helper and even the helper of those who are in the audience to be able to hear and apply the Bible today. Break through, oh God. We love you. And if there's anyone who doesn't know you, I pray that you would save them, deliver them, rescue them, set them free from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. We thank you, O oh Jesus, that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We find ourselves this morning in verse 15. If you have it, can you say amen? Amen. And Paul says, this you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. My outline uh, gives me the title of my sermon this morning. In verse 15, when Paul speaks of people in Asia turning away from him, we have what is known as rejection. And then in verses 15 through 18, he talks about, excuse me, 16 through 18, he talks about someone who refreshed him by the name of Onesiphorus. So today's message and outline is called and entitled, From Rejection to Refreshment. From Rejection to Refreshment. You know, life has a way of taking us from Hosanna to crucify in a matter of minutes. We can be the greatest thing since sliced bread one day. And then on the next day, we are the molded heel that's at the back of the loaf of bread. From Hosanna to crucify, from a mountaintop to a valley low. And it can happen very, very quickly. We know what happened to our Lord where he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And less than a week later, that same crowd is yelling, crucify him. And so that happens to us in this life. And I witnessed this several years ago with two pastor friends of mine in Franklin, in Franklin, Tennessee. Both were pastors of large, successful churches in the area. And after having served one for over 25 years and one for about 33 years, the congregation went from Hosanna to crucify. And for things that did not deserve, crucify. And even with God's people, if there is something that is worthy of crucify, 
We are supposed to be people that mercy triumphs over judgment, and there's a way that a church family is supposed to handle things. And we don't always handle things well. We don't always handle God's ministers well in the house of God. And both of these men who had stellar ministries for decades were treated like trash on the way out. And I was invited behind closed doors to give counsel on both of those matters, and I basically said that the way that you're treating these men is wrong. Now, that may not change the trajectory of the decision that you guys are making, but you need to handle this well because these men oversaw your weddings. These men oversaw the burials in this church. These men taught for years. These men were there at hospitals. You need to treat them well if, in fact, their time has come to an end. Well, my counsel uh, was thrown out, and uh, I was not uh, heard. In fact, the same spirit that was attacking these pastors turned and attacked me for standing up because I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Where there's injustice, I speak up. But above all, I have the gift of prophecy, and I stand against injustice and unrighteousness and darkness. Uh, God has gifted me that way. I don't always like it, but man, when I see it, I speak against it with a, a forehead like flint and a heart like flesh. But they still rushed over these men and, and, uh, and, and their tenures were ended in a way that was not uh, reminiscent of the, the, the investment that they made for decades. It was horrible. You see, corporate thinking crept into the church more than biblical thinking. And they ran over these men. And when you hurt a pastor, you hurt his wife if he's married. And you hurt the children. And some kids say, I don't ever want to go to church again because of what you did to my dad. Oh, it's real. And then I left that situation right around the same time and started speaking up for a missionary who had been in ministry again for decades, had founded a ministry serving in Africa, and his board turned on him based on false accusations that were made. And rather than searching the matter out, they used it to gang up on this man and to put him out of the ministry, at least temporarily. And I spoke up at that as well, was not heard and I realized something here after, after doing that, uh, that those devils that were messing in those two churches and those demons that was messing with that ministry then turned and came after me and this church. And I learned something from that, that number one, spiritual warfare is real. And number two, you don't have to do anything wrong to get treated wrong. You, you didn't hear that. You didn't hear that. Uh, spiritual warfare is real. And secondly, you don't have to do anything wrong to get treated wrong. And after stepping in to serve friends and to serve the community, but above all, the kingdom of God, those demons who are real focus their aerial assault on me and on Strong Tower Bible Church. And it was right around the time that we moved into this building and I tell you, the spiritual warfare was thick. I would come and stand to preach, and it was almost like a literal wall was in front of me. There was division on the staff. There was fighting and bickering in the church, something of which I had never, ever seen nor experienced before. And the pain that I would go through would not only have me on the verge of a nervous breakdown, but I had to go to counseling and I had to take a mandatory sabbatical to rest and because the war, I mean, it was hard. It was, it was so hard. I buried my, my father and my mother. But those two things were not as hard as what I had to walk through in this church. Burying my mother and father was easier than what we went through. I thought of quitting the ministry. I thought of relocating, going to another state. It was hard. But again, spiritual warfare is real, and you don't have to do anything wrong 
to get treated as if you did. And if I did do something wrong, man, where's the mercy? But I didn't do anything wrong. I was upright, but those demons don't play fairly, and they will work on and through people who make themselves available to him. We'll cover that later in chapter 2, how Satan takes people and puts them under a spell, and they find themselves in a snare, and only a pastor can help them if God grants them repentance. Oh, that's in chapter 2, because this stuff is real, but, but, but hold on, don't leave today. I just want to know, what did Joseph do? to have his brothers throw him into a pit, want to kill him and then end up selling him to the Ishmaelites who took him down into Egypt. What did he do? I know dad played favoritism and gave him a technicolor coat and all of that. And I know Joseph had dreams, but was any of that worthy of mistreating him that way? What did David do to Saul? Besides support him and encourage him and be his armor bearer. What did David do to Saul to make Saul want to hate David the way that he did? And even try to kill David on two occasions with his spear. How did he go from Hosanna to David to crucify with David? What happened? Well, I don't know specifically what went down in either case with Joseph and his brothers or David and Saul or even David and his own brothers, or David and his own mother and father, because he would later write, when my mother and father have forsaken me, then the Lord will take me in. But let me suggest what Proverbs 27, 4 says. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? It's in the book. I know we don't like that stuff, but jealousy is one of them kind of subtle sins. Because whenever there's a breakdown in a relationship, look for the sin. Our relationship with God is broken because of sin. And when there's a relationship broken between people who were once in community, look for the sin. Sin always breaks fellowship. And sometimes the sin is a subtle sin called jealousy. And I think Joseph's brothers were jealous of Joseph. And I believe Saul was jealous of David because David has slain his ten thousands and Saul, he only had his thousands. So jealousy can cause brothers to become enemies, sisters to become foes. What did Jesus do to Judas besides love him? Why would Judas turn on Jesus the way in which he did? All Jesus did was treat him like he treated everyone else again with perfect love. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all evil. And I'm going to throw a remix in here. Tony Evans got a Bible. Uh, here's my remix. The love of power can be the root of all kinds of evil. That you wish you had the power, the position that someone else has. And Judas wished he had, uh, he, 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 he had a craving for money, which caused him to sell his Lord out. And then in today's text, what did Paul do to fight jealous and Hermogenes for them to turn away from him? That's what the verse says in verse 15. Everybody's turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And as I'm going to dig into this a little bit today with the time I have, uh, because I'm going to have prayer at the end for people who have dealt with or dealing with pain church hurt, church pain. If there's someone in here who's dealing with pain as a pastor or you've been hurt by a pastor, maybe even me, today is the day we want to get things healed in the name of Jesus, okay? But we got to look at this thing here because Phygelus and Hermogenes appear to have at one time been with Paul because you can't turn away from somebody that you weren't once turned with and going with. So something happened, and the text does not tell us, but we got to look at Acts, and we got to look at the end of 2 Timothy, try to piece these things together to understand why would somebody turn from the beloved, wonderful Apostle Paul? I mean, you know how people say, who would you like to go back in time and speak to if you could besides Jesus? I'm sure a lot of people say, man, I would love to sit down and talk with Paul and, and find out, man, how did you endure all that you endured and the things that you did and where you went and what you gave up for the kingdom of God. And you just would want to talk with this gospel globe trotter. 
this man who was used by God not only to do miracles but to write scripture. Oh man, who would want to turn from him? Without his thinking, without his writing, our theology would not have the shape that it does today. He teaches us about justification. Paul teaches us about sanctification. He teaches us about glorification and the inspiration of scripture. He teaches us so much. How could anybody have a problem with the apostle Paul? Well, you can't name one successful leader who didn't have people turn away from him or her at some point. (laughs) If you want to be popular, don't be a leader. Uh, uh, Because every leader has had people turn away from them. Matter of fact, one of my favorite leaders, Martin Luther King, in 1968, a Harris poll revealed that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a disapproval rating of 75%. So in the year that he died, three-fourths of the country disapproved of Martin Luther King Jr., but today, probably three-fourths of the country revere him and honor him. What happened in 1968? I know he came out strong against racism and militarism and the fight that was going on, the war in Vietnam. I know he came out against poverty and he wanted to hold those who make money accountable and the government accountable for for making sure that the poor are taken care of. He had a lot of enemies along the way and if you're doing it right, you're going to have some enemies. If you're going to speak prophetically, you're going to offend people with truth. I mean, it happened in the Bible, and of course it happened with our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, But they came after him. But not only the country, let's talk about black folk. Because the same poll reveals that 60% of the black community thought that he had become irrelevant as a leader. Other voices were rising up from the Black Panther Party. And other people were against this nonviolent stuff and they're moving in, bearing arms and by any means necessary, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And they thought that Martin Luther King's day had come and gone. So even from within his own community, there was not support upwards of 60%. And as I mentioned, not even the great apostle Paul could escape rejection, disapproval, slander, and hatred. And in this final letter, Paul is alone and about to die. I'll read that in a minute. He is alone in this Roman jail cell awaiting execution. A man who ministered to thousands is now alone. And Paul goes on record in this letter as naming the names of some of his detractors and haters. Because you can't be a successful leader and not have detractors, not have haters. But Paul has the audacity under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, coupled with his human experience and personality, to write to Timothy about certain people who were detractors or even haters of him. People like Phygelus and Hermogenes, Hymenaeus and Philetus, Alexander and Demas. Paul puts their names in the text. (laughs) You thought you had some haters. Paul had many a haters. And like Paul, I bet you we could name them, couldn't we? Couldn't we name those people who have detracted from us, slandered us, tried to hold us back, turned away from us, hated on us for no good reason? We can name them. I could name some, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That would not be uh, in good taste, even though I probably could and be in line with what Scripture says, because Paul named names. Sometimes it's to let other people know, watch out for these folks, like he did with Alexander the Coppersmith in chapter 2. No, no, excuse me. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 what do you call it, Alexander? In chapter 4, he says, look out for him. Beware of him because he has greatly resisted our words. I've had a few of those in my 26 years of ministry who greatly resisted my words of the gospel, who have talked about my children who have tried to exploit my family. I've had some, but but I will not call them out. But let me ask you a question. I know you can call out your top 10 haters. But let me ask you a question. Do you think you've made somebody's top 10 hater list yourself? You see, it's always somebody hating on us, but we never see us as the one that's a hater. But I want to, it's got to be a couple of people who have made somebody's list where they name your name. Because when we talk about bullies in school, how come everybody else is the bully, but it's never us? 
It's always somebody else with the problem, never us. But as I said to the men on Friday, Jesus said, everybody got a log in their eye. Everybody got a log. The neighbor, your neighbor has a, a splinter in his or her eye. We think the neighbor has a log in their eye and we got a splinter if we even got anything in our eye. But Jesus said, no, everybody got a problem. Everybody got logs in their eyes. So if we can at least start there, we can work through some things. But a lot of times we think that we don't have the problem, that we aren't the problem, that we aren't causing division in the church or even in our families. Now, I would imagine Philetus and Hermogenes, they did not think that they were a problem. But Paul names them here as turning away from him. I'm sure they didn't think that they were a problem. You see, Paul says in verse 15, everybody in Asia has turned away from me. Homeboy's using hyperbole right here because not everybody has turned away from him, but it feels like it. You see, when you feel like everybody's against you, you're not too objective. You know, you do speak with th these words that are hyperbolic. Everybody's against. No, everybody's not. You may feel that way, but it's not true. And, and, and Asia here is Asia Minor. This is where Ephesus was located. This region is modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus was located in Asia Minor, and it was the chief city of that region. And so when Paul went into Ephesus in Asia Minor, he stayed there for a span of three years. This is the longest place he ever stayed, uh, uh, longest time he ever stayed in one place, even longer than Corinth, Ephesus, Ephesus. Because again, it was a chief city. They had a temple there to uh, Diana, and, and there was a lot of uh, idolatry there. But he went in there with his boys, and God used them, starting off in a, uh, a synagogue to, to see revival happen in the whole area where people started coming to Christ in Ephesus and getting rid of their little uh, 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 pagan idols uh, to, to the goddess of Diana. They started burning their magic scrolls and all this stuff. They're coming to Christ. There's a revival. So somebody loved them there. But then because the people that made those shrines and those little dolls and idols started losing money, the revival turned into a riot. When you mess with people's money, watch out. So, so they, they started attacking Paul and his companions. And they started chanting Diana's name for hours. I mean, there was upheaval in the city. And the Christians said, Paul, you can't go out there. They'll rip you to shreds. And so once it dies down, Paul ends up leaving the area. He had been there for three years. And before he leaves in chapter 20, he meets with the elders of the church in Ephesus. And he tells them, I'm leaving. I'm going to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, I'm going to Rome. And y'all will not see my face again. I know I was with y'all for three years. None of y'all can say I, I, I took money from y'all. I worked with my own hands. I went from house to house. I preached to Jews and Gentiles alike. In other words, I'm blameless and I'm upright. Because if any of y'all got a problem, point it out now. Nobody had a problem with his ministry and his lifestyle. And then he says, uh, but I got to prophesy to y'all and let y'all know. Once I leave wolves are going to come in here and try to tear this church apart in this community. I'm telling you now so that when it happens, you won't be surprised. He goes on to say, he's talking to the elders, he says, even from your number, they're going to come men who are going to come and try to divide the church. So they're going to be elders or pastors who are going to be under the influence of the God of confusion, small g, can never be God. God is the author of order, not confusion. He's the author of unity, not division. And so these elders, these folks are going to come in and tear this church up. Why? Because this church is a key church in the world. And when you're great for God, expect great opposition and attack from the enemy. And so Paul warns them. And so in our first point today, we see the pain of rejection. In verse 14, he says that all those in Asia have turned away from me. When at one time they was with your boy, but they turned from him among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The idea here is this. Here's the idea. There's a faction of people who turned away from the one who planted the church, the apostle. There's a group of them, and they were probably led by these two people, Phagellus and Hermogenes, 
who were one time with Paul, but now they're against Paul. And this word turn away has the idea of it of apostasy in the Greek language. So the turning away, the rejection, and not so much of Jesus apparently, but of Jesus' servant, Paul. So they've turned away, they've rejected him. So now I ask the question, why did they turn away from him? Perhaps it was something doctrinal because they didn't like the gospel of grace that he preached. Or perhaps it had to do with power. We don't know, but they turned away. It's one thing when former friends turn away from you. Man, that hurts. And Paul, as strong as he was, he was still human. He could hurt. That's why he named the names of people who did him harm. As strong as he was, he could hurt. And it's one thing when friends turn away, but it's something entirely different when friends turn on you. Turning away and then turning on you. My God, David knew what this was about. In Psalm chapter 55, verse 12 through 14. Brothers, do you have that one up there? It says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, that I could hide from. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Isn't it hard? I mean, I tell you what, there's no hurt like church hurt. And the only thing worse than church hurt is when a friend in church hurts you. My God. So, so this, there's nothing new under the sun. This just didn't happen with Paul. David said it happened to him. And I would imagine this happened to many of us here. Where friends have turned away from us. Friends have turned on us. People that we thought we would be friends with for life. It happens. Then David goes on in Psalm 109, verses 2 through 5 to say, For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. So what did you do wrong? Nothing. (laughs) And in return for my love, they are my accusers. But I give myself to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Somebody said, Pastor, we ain't got to go to the church to understand that. You can go to my house and we can talk about that. That person that I am married to, that person that I was married to, that person who was my parent, who is my parent, man, we felt this sting of betrayal and rejection. But I got some encouragement if you can just hang on. You see, when this happens, it... This pain, it can lead to anger, distrust, fear, resentment, bitterness, and depression. You run around talking about Jesus is all right with me, but I don't really care about his people. And you don't want to come around church folk no more. But I'm here to say to you that how you handle people who mishandled you will be one of the greatest tests of your character. How you handle people who have mishandled you, people put their mouth on you, people have lied against you. You said you wanted to be like Jesus, right? Brother Dan got up here quoting from Philippians that the Holy Spirit is going to make us desire to be like Jesus, to, to, to desire and do his goodwill. So what happened to Jesus? He was lied on. He was betrayed. He was denied. All those things by people on the outer Fringes and people even in his inner circle. So when we say we want to be like Jesus, God will allow these things to happen so that we have an opportunity to be like Jesus. Hopefully to suffer for righteousness and not for unrighteousness. So when it happens, God is trying to grow your character. And you say, God, I want to grow, but I don't want to grow like this. It hurt too much. But this is where we've got to trust God. Because the same God who allows uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes to hurt you, the same God who allows them to reject you, 
is the same God who will provide Onesiphorus to heal you and to refresh you. Oh, I said it too fast. We got to trust God when we're going through these seasons where we've been hurt by people. Because I know that God loves me, but sometimes it doesn't feel like his people love me. So when those kind of things happen, all the more, get your eyes back on God. Yes, yes, yes. And my heart goes out to people who have been hurt in church. People have been hurt by staffs and elders and pastors and parishioners and people have been hurt by spouses and bosses and school teachers and police officers. People have been hurt by folks who were supposed to help them and not hinder them. My heart goes out to you. And so often I say, God, why did you allow me to go through this? I didn't see this coming. And and God says, number one, why can't you go through it? What makes you think you can't go through? No one expects a trial. You know, we're all walking in. So I didn't see that coming. But this is a great opportunity to lean on God, to trust God, to pray. And anything that makes me look to God more ultimately is a good thing. I got half an amen on that one. So your attitude will determine your altitude and, and God is trying to grow you through it. So let's look at this final point here, the power of refreshment. There's pain and rejection. It hurts. And you walk around saying, what did I do? What did I do? To, why, why did you turn away from me? Why did you turn on me? And there's no answer. And the Lord is like, welcome to growing in Christ. Because one plus one does not always equal two. Stop looking for a linear equation to justify or even to explain what happened. Sometimes it just happens. You didn't do anything for your father to walk out on you. You didn't do anything for your mother to turn her back on you. What did you do? Nothing. It happens so that we might grow more in God. But here's the power of refreshment because if God will allow and even use rejection, He'll allow it and use it from people in your inner circle like Phagellus and Onesiphorus who were a part of the church at Ephesus, maybe even in leadership, who've now turned away from Saul while he's at his lowest point in jail. That same God will provide a refresher in your life. Uh huh. And that refresher is found in verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out and very zealously, and he found me. And the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. This man, Onesiphorus, he, he refreshed Paul, and he did it on a regular basis. The word refresh, it speaks of hospitality. You break this word down, it means to cool or to provide relaxation. So he refreshed me. He provided coolness. Remember when Jesus said in the gospel, uh, Matthew 10, 42, that when you give a cold drink of water in my name to the prophets, you're going to get a prophet reward. Because prophets are preaching and speaking all the time. Their throats get parched. They're in a dry land. So somebody comes along to help refresh the man or woman of God. And Jesus says, when you take care of the minister, God says, I'll take care of you. And so this man provided refreshment for Paul. In chapter 4, verse 19, when Paul is closing out the book, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. The idea here is that Onesiphorus' house took care of Paul while he would be in Ephesus. Mr. Forrest probably had wealth and he used his wealth and the many rooms in his house to provide for the people of God as they traveled and sojourned. And so this man had a heart for Jesus and it showed up in a heart for the man of God. And whenever Paul needed housing, he stayed at Onesiphorus' place. And he was cooled and refreshed and was able to relax. And so he says to Timothy, you know very well how many ways he ministered to me. And the minister needs somebody to minister to him sometime. And God is faithful to raise up people to minister to the minister. He's faithful like that. Because God knows how lonely it can get in ministry. 
And Onesiphorus was there for him. And then he says, he was not ashamed of my chain. He's trying to get Timothy not to be ashamed of his chain. You know, his spiritual father in jail. Timothy, where's your spiritual daddy? He in jail. And so, so there's a temptation to be ashamed of where your daddy is. But your daddy in jail for doing the right thing. And this guy was not ashamed. People pulled away from Paul because he was in jail. This man moved towards Paul. Matter of fact, he says in Rome, he arrived in Rome. So he left Ephesus and came to Rome when he heard that his pastor was in jail. He came to Rome. And then the Bible says, he sought me out very zealously and found me. So he came to visit Paul in jail. Refreshed his chain. Refreshed him in jail. And when you got a friend that can search you out when you're down, when you're at your lowest, when you don't know if you're going to make it, when you're isolated and a friend shows up, that's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's the friend that loves at all times, even in the day of adversity. That's a real friend. So I know those dudes left me, rolled out on me, but God raised this brother up and said, hey, Rev, we here now. We ain't going nowhere. Uh-oh, you can't come to us, Rev. We're going to come to you, <laughs> and we're going to refresh you where you are. And so that's why Paul said, now I got to pray. Lord, grant mercy to this man, for he has shown mercy to me. God showed mercy to him on that day. In other words, Lord, hook him up on judgment day. Because he took care of me. Lord Jesus, bless him in your presence on that day. Can you take time and thank God for your Onesiphorus who refreshed you when everybody else turned away from you and folk turned on you and God raised up an Onesiphorus like a good Samaritan. Remember that parable Jesus told? A dude got beat up, left for dead in the middle of the road. People walking by him, one preacher on that side, one preacher on the other side. The people who should have stopped didn't stop. But here comes the despised folk, the Samaritan. He stops, pours oil on his wounds, takes him to an inn, puts him up, puts money up. And Jesus said, who was the brother? to this man? Who was the neighbor to this man? It was the despised person. If you got a person in your life, guy or gal, who will come get you out of the road after you've been run over, beat up, and the church just walked by on both sides, and the wounds may have come from the church or some of God's people, and somebody comes and picks you up out of that road and ministers to your wounds and helps you and puts some money up for you and encourages you, you better thank God for your Anisophoruses. Because God is faithful to provide and raise them up. So let me give you these thoughts to consider before we pray. And I'll ask the worship team to begin making their way back for this final song. In life, you will go through seasons of rejection and even betrayal. When this happens, do your best to make it spiritual and not personal. Do your best to make it spiritual and not personal. Joseph said in Genesis 49 verse 20, saying to his brothers, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He kept it spiritual. He chose not to make it personal. Number two, don't focus on the people who rejected you and who turned away from you and who walked out of your life. Focus on the ones who refreshed you and remained. Over the years, we had multiple exoduses where people leave the church. And I understand that. You know, pe people go church hopping like it's a brand new dance. You know, can you do the church hop? And I understand that. They go to the latest and the greatest and the newest and all that stuff. I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, we're not always fishing for men. We're keepers of the aquarium uh, as far as churches are concerned. And sometimes you do need to leave a church. You know, a lot of times we make idolatry uh, a church an idol. By, by bringing our tombstone to a church. And when that church die and God said, get up and go, we stay there and die with the church. So sometimes you do need to leave. But you shouldn't leave just over, man, they hurt my feelings. Uh, the pastor didn't speak to me or whatever. Come on, man. Because you're going to carry that same uh, fragile spirit to the next place, to the next place, to the next place. But don't focus on those folk that rejected you. Focus on the ones who have refreshed you. You can't go forward while looking back, and you can't grow while carrying a grudge. So therefore, forgive the people who hurt you and move on. Even if they don't ask for forgiveness, you forgive them. To forgive means to release from punishment and condemnation. 
You can't condemn anyone. You can't punish anyone. Why? Because God doesn't condemn or punish you. So who are you not to forgive someone else? Forgive them as you have been forgiven. And you were not perfect in the midst of whatever went down that would cause this separating. So give mercy, forgive. Now realize that forgiveness is to be immediate. But rebuilding trust does take time. Because everybody you forgive, you're not to get back into a relationship with. Many times, not even immediately, if ever. Hold on. But you forgive them for your own sake. Number four, repentance is critical to restoration. If Phagellus and Onesiphorus were to ever be reconciled to Paul, they would have to repent for why they turned from Paul. Paul didn't leave them. They left Paul. What was the sin that caused you to turn from God's apostle? Don't come back up in here trying to reconcile, but you won't confess and repent of your sin. Because you can't have true reconciliation without repentance. That's in any relationship. And this is why some relationships will not be restored on this side of heaven. When Paul dies at the end of this book, his relationships aren't healed with these people. And if they know the Lord, they'll be healed in heaven. In the meantime, you might need healing by way of counseling. If you are struggling with a heavy heart, depression, discouragement, get some counseling. And then finally, all those so-called friends will let you down and turn away from you. Always remember that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Because we just sang it's all about him. <laughs> yeah, and he's he going to allow you to go through some stuff to see if you really believe that. <laughs> oh, my God. So, 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 so he's going to remind you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And here's Paul. He says in verse 16 of chapter 4, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me may not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So everybody was gone, but the Lord is with me. Now, if I'm Luke, I'm, I'm like, hey, man, what about me? I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm not under the sentence, because he says Luke is with me. But, but, but Luke is not under the sentence of Paul, but Luke is there. So Paul's like, everybody's left me. They go to preach again with hyperbole. Forgive us when we speak with hyperbole. Don't nobody like me. Everybody didn't turn against me. Yeah, man, get yourself together, man. Don't let your feelings rule over what's objective. But Luke was with him. But he still says, man, I feel so alone in this moment. And it's in those moments that God shows up and lets you know that he's the fourth man in the fire, that he's with you. Even if your mother and father, your closest friends, your parishioners, your pastors, they turn on you, God is with you. Amen. Well, you're looking at someone who has had to live this. What I'm preaching today, I have lived, and I hope I never have to live it again. But I don't know too many pastors that haven't gone through some kind of pain. Uh, we call it sheep bite a lot of times. And pastors are people too. Pastors are not robots. We're not super spiritual. We're people. We make mistakes. Like Moses, we call people rebels and strike rocks. And we pay dearly for it before the Lord. But many of us try to be upright, good, godly men or women who lead in this role. But still, you don't have to do anything wrong to get treated wrong. And when it happens, it's a test of your character. You got to trust God to heal and look for the anisophoruses that he brings into your life. And don't focus on the people that turned away. Look at the ones who turn in, turn towards, who are walking with you. And even beyond that, keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm a survivor today because of Jesus. I tried to quit. He wouldn't let me. He kept me. I'm a wounded healer today. And I have a heart for pastors who've been hurt by churches and I have a heart for people who've been hurt by the church and as you stand to your feet with me stand to your feet with me as we close in prayer there may be someone in here who says pastor I, I didn't come to church to hear this this morning I, you triggered some stuff man I try to suppress some things I try to hold that stuff down and just keep going on but Man, I didn't know it was still stinging me like that. I want to let you know it's a journey. 
You got to forgive and forgive again. You got to forgive and forgive again. But you got to keep going forward, not looking back. But there may be somebody here who has been struggling with forgiveness. Let me tell you something. You, you got to speak their name before God. And say, God, I forgive Reverend so-and-so for turning away from me, for turning on me, maybe even for molesting me. I forgive Pastor so-and-so. Lord, I speak their name. I release them. I'm not going to hold it anymore. It's only hurt me. You want me free. I've been even mad at you, God, for why you let it happen. But God, the preacher told me I got to trust your heart when I don't understand your mind. But you're going to use it. What you allow, you use to grow me to be more like Jesus. I just want to pray for some folk before we leave because I need you to survive. You cannot die. You cannot let church hurt take you out. You cannot let church hurt say, I never want to trust God's people again. I never want to be a part of a local church again. You're out of the will of God if that's the case. Because God knows the church is dysfunctional. That's why it gives us grace. Can I pray for someone here at the altar who says, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm struggling. Matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of James, if, if you're going through something, man, call for the elders of the church, confess your faults, and let them pray for you that you might be healed. The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man avails much. Let me pray with you. Let me pray over you. Let me pray for you. If the church, if a friend, if a mate, if a parent has turned away from you, turned on you, and you felt rejected and abandoned, come on, let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. Come on. Come on. This is the house of God, y'all. This ain't a performance. We're family. Come on, let me pray with you. I know I'm not by myself. Come on. Come on up to the altar. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. We need you to survive, man. It's his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. Let's pray today. I'm going to ask my elders to come and their wives and put hands on you. Okay? Again, spiritual warfare requires spiritual weaponry. Sharon, I'm going to give you this oil. Would you just touch the foreheads of the people represents the presence of the Holy Spirit we're applying the word of God church hurt is real it almost took me out but by the grace of God he provided some anisophorus is in my life but above all he showed himself to be a protector and a restorer and a refresher if you're doing it right your life is going to come under attack don't think it's strange of the fiery trials that have tried you you're not by yourself. You are not alone. But God is using it to grow you. In the quietness of your heart, those people who have hurt you, who shouldn't have hurt you, but they did, you may have already forgiven them, but maybe you got to forgive them again. Just speak their name before God and say, God, in the quietness of your heart, I forgive so-and-so. You got to release God I forgive them don't charge this against them guard my heart Lord from anger and resentment and bitterness but Lord I forgive them because you've freely forgiven me I forgive them again 
And Lord, when I go away from this altar today, I want to leave the pain that has overwhelmed me here. I know there will be things that will come that will cause it to resurface, but Lord, I don't want it having a strong hold on me. I want to leap. I want to dance. I want to have joy again. I, I don't want to be looking at other folks' social media and, and wondering, Lord, why are you still blessing them and what do they don't know, God? You've got so much for us that's ahead of us that's not behind us. Might you see the people he's brought into your life to refresh you and encourage you to pour oil on your wounds and be there for you? Put more energy there. And realize that we're all broken. And we need grace. None of us are perfect. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you would help my brothers and sisters today. They humbled themselves by coming before you in your house. And in your word, you say that you give grace to the humble. Father God, give them the grace, that air, that coolness, that refreshment, that relaxation that they need. May they lay their burdens down. May they not give up on your church because some of your people may have given up on them. Lord, help them not to take it and make it personal. Help them to see that it's spiritual and you're not finished with them because they're going to go away from here as wounded healers. All of this is common to man. And if it's not church hurt, it's corporate hurt. It's domestic hurt. Whatever, Lord, we can minister your grace to people because we're recipients of it. So make us conduits of mercy today. May we not stop the flow of your spirit because we're holding grudges and bitterness against people who hurt us. We release it. We release them. And Lord, we want to go free. Lord, I pray that you free up that job. That you free up, Lord, that house. Because I think there are blessings waiting. Like Job, he could not be restored till he prayed for the people who hurt him. He couldn't get more children till he prayed for the people who hurt him. He couldn't get his crops back and his wealth back until he prayed for his enemies. Oh yeah, you're at work, oh God. Bless your people to be a blessing. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that Paul was vulnerable enough to talk about his stuff. And we could talk about this in the house of God and do it with decency. And I pray for my friends that I open this service up. One is not in ministry. One is in a different kind of ministry and one started another ministry. But Lord, I know they hurt. <laughs> Would you just stop by? Touch my brothers. Encourage me. Lord, I think of the pastor in Franklin who the church got rid of him on his anniversary, voted him out on his anniversary. We can do things better than that. Would you help him and his family and those who have also been hurt to not allow this thing to spiral them downward, Lord, into bitterness? Because bitterness will lead to so many other sins. Help us to do a better job of taking care of each other and looking out for each other and pulling and rooting and cheering for one another. And above all, God, would you give us what you gave your son, Jesus? When he felt like even you had turned your back on him. And in a sense, you did. Because of the sin, our sin that he bore in his body. And he felt so alone. He felt so alone. He felt so alone. But Lord, that was for a brief moment. Because he went on to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You turned your face back towards him. Father, into your hands we commit our spirits. When we felt forsaken by mothers and fathers and friends and ministers and churches, commit ourselves to you and we thank you that you've committed yourself to us.
Lord, I know Destiny Child sings it, but we're going to say it. I am a survivor. And I'm not going to give up. I'm a survivor. I'm alive for a reason. And with the living, there is hope. Fill your people today with the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I need some people to clap like it's done. I need some people to clap like the victory has occurred. Come on! We glorify you. We magnify you. You are the mender of broken hearts. You are the healer of our souls as well as our body. Lord, we lay it down and we thank you that you picked us up. Oh God, have your way. May we have a new walk. May we have a new talk. May we have a dance about us. Give us some joy back, oh God. You meant it for good. I don't know what they meant, but you meant it for good so that other folk might get healed and saved. Use us, oh God. Use our stories. Help us to help somebody else. In Jesus' name. Let's receive the benediction now unto him. Anybody believe that he's able? Anybody believe that he's able? Anybody believe that he's able to do? Anybody believe that he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or imagine? And it's according to the power that's at work with it. Power to show mercy. Power to forgive. Power to love. Power to live. Power to worship. Power to share the gospel. Power to feed the hungry. Power to clothe the naked. Power to visit those in prison. Power to visit those in the hospital. Power to give. Power. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bless this church. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, yeah.